Our first scripture reading is John, the gospel according to John chapter 14. John 14, we'll be reading verses 25 through 27. John 14, 25 through 27. This is that upper room time when Jesus, right before he's going to be arrested. So this is like the last few words he gets to say to his disciples before the arrest comes and his crucifixion. So this is like when you sat down with your grandma or your grandpa as they were getting close to death and they told you their last final words. It's that intimate and that serious. And notice what Jesus says, just a portion of this that you want to keep a hold of. I'll bring it back up later. But it's down in verse 25. These things I speak have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Paraclete, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid." So now we go to 2 Chronicles chapter 32. It's page 383 if you're using that blue Bible. You want to have your Bible open here. So you follow along not only in the reading, but you can stick track with me as I'm going through the sermon in a minute. As we continue our series in First and 2 Chronicles, Reclaim, Revive, Reform, Return. So chapter 29, 30 and 31 is Hezekiah and the revival and reformation that broke out was very substantive. And then comes the last set of scenes of Hezekiah's life. And it starts in chapter 32, beginning of verse 1. After these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Sennacherib, the world's superpower, had just come on the stage recently and is now conquering the world. And so Hezekiah, knowing that he's coming prepares, makes plans, puts things in place, military equipment, water, all that stuff. Verse 6, And he set command, combat commanders over the people, and he gathered them together to him in the square of the gate, at the gate of the city, and spoke encouragingly to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed. For the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with them, for there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord, all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the English translator's way of saying underneath this in the Hebrew is God's personal name. And that means something. This is not Baal, it's not Ishtar, it's not Marduk, it's not Jupiter, it's not any other God. With us is Yahweh, Yahweh our God. To help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence in the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And so sure enough, here comes Sennacherib and he sends his preacher. He sends his uh, spokesperson to them, to, to, um, to Jerusalem that's now under siege. And he begins to preach. He begins to pronounce. And so in verse 10, thus says, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting that you endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst when he tells you, when he tells you Yahweh our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? And he just continues down that line that Hezekiah is deceiving you, but then it gets really personal. 
And he says down in verse 13, Do you not know that I and my fathers have done to all the peoples what we have done to all the peoples of the other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver them, to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion. And do not believe him. For no, no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from, my, from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? And he continues to taunt the God of heaven, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He even sends letters, verse Verse uh, 17 and 18. And so verse 19 is a summary statement. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And Yahweh sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and the commanders and the officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. He smashed the teeth of Sennacherib in his mouth and sent him packing with his tail between his legs. And so verse 22. So Yahweh, so the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all of his enemies. And he, Yahweh, provided for them on every side. He even elevated him in the standing of all the nations, the little people, little small countries around Jerusalem. He elevated them in their sight. And then verse 24, in those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death and he prayed to the Lord. He prayed to Yahweh and he answered him and gave him a sign, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that, with, so that the wrath of Yahweh of the Lord did not come upon him them in the days of Hezekiah. And God continued to honor Hezekiah, elevating him, so that at the end of verse 29, God had given him very great possessions. And at the end of verse 30, that Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. Everything seems to be going well. And then comes verse 31. Now come the Babylonians who are still, who are trying to build a coalition government maybe, a coalition set of forces to fight against Assyria at some point. And they come and they oogle and awe Hezekiah and how well he's done. And so verse 31, and so in the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. And then comes the end of Hezekiah's life, verse 32 and 33. In summary, here was an honorable man who lived, generally speaking, an honorable life. And at the end of his life, at the end of his days, when he died, he was given great honor by his people, and they did him honor at his death. Dear friends, what I've summarized and read for you in 2 Chronicles 32 and what I've read to you from the gospel according to John 14 
It is the corrective, instructive, encouraging, reinforcing, life-giving word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O Lord God, merciful and gracious, by the life-giving operation of your Holy Spirit, take our stiff and unyielding hearts and need, need the message of this passage into them that we may rise and earnestly seek you and humble ourselves before you and deeply know you for Christ's sake. Amen. You may be seated. So for those of you who are visiting, we're in this series, and so we're almost wrapped up. We'll actually end up wrapping up on the 24th of December that morning. So this just happens to be where we are. There are sermon notes in the back of the worship guide that give you the the sermon points and lots of space to write notes. There's questions for any care groups that are meeting tonight. So my friends, Revival and Reformation, chapter 29, 30, and 31, Revival and Reformation have come, they've come big, and they have gotten bigger. And so I want to point out something that Pastor West bumped up against last week, and I want to point it out specifically here. I want you to notice, go back to chapter 31, verse 1, And you will notice there, chapter 31, verse 1, that even the portion, even the portion of that theologically, morally, politically, socially, ethically progressive arm of God's dominion was swept up into God, this God-caused reformation and revival. And 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 they took it with them back into their liberal church. Excuse me, into their liberal domain. Chapter 31, verse 1. Listen. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke down in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim, the fertility idols. And they broke down the high places, the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin, there's the southern realm, and in Ephraim and Manasseh, the northern realm. Until they had destroyed them all, then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. My friends, that's amazing. The Revival Reformation drew in even this more liberally progressive, or at least a portion of this more liberally, liberal and progressive, theologically, politically, socially, morally part of God's kingdom, drew it in, and Revival and Reformation took over, and they took it back with them to their church. That should give somebody some hope, y'all. Don't write them off. Nothing can keep God out. God is on the move. And that's what you should be praying for. And always expecting. Always expecting. And so notice that the revival reformation was beautiful, it was big, it was bold, and it was socially transformative. And it made great waves in Judah and in the northern region. And so the summary statement are the last two verses of chapter 31. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before Yahweh his God and every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments. Seeking God he did with all his heart, and he prospered. Revival and Reformation have taken root and they're running wild in the streets. But then comes chapter 32. And chapter 32 gives us some caution. Because adversity 
can come with revival and reformation. And arrogance can come with revival and reformation. And assessment might come with revival and reformation. And there's the three points. And so the very first point, adversity can come with revival and reformation. Notice the very beginning of verse 1. It's an acknowledgement. After all these things, what things? Chapter 29, 30, and 31. After all that has been done. In fact, he calls it acts of faithfulness. After all these things and these acts of faithfulness. And if you stop right there, and if you were given a homework assignment to finish that sentence the way you expect it to go, <laughs> what would you expect to finish it with? Why, after all these things and these acts of faithfulness, utopia arrived. Woo! After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, heaven opened up and wealth and health and golden times arrived forever and ever. After all these things and all these acts of faithfulness, no problems ever surfaced again. That's how, if God had asked our opinion, we would have written the rest of that sentence. Because it's exactly what we expect and we think should happen. And yet I want you to notice that the Bible will have nothing to do with our folk religion. Our quid pro quo. My little bit of this for God's big old that, y'all. You know what I mean? The Bible have nothing to do with our mechanically magical myths. Like the woman who said to me one time when her world was crashing, I don't believe in your God because I was told. I was told by the preacher, if I believe in Jesus, I will have no more problems. That's paganism. That's folk religion. And the Bible will have nothing to do with it. In fact, notice the stiff reality that shows up here. Verse 1, and after these things, these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities thinking to win them for himself. My friends, isn't that the real story of many Christian lives? After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, she was diagnosed with some of the most aggressive dementia. After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, the market crashed and he was impoverished. After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, her husband left her for Mildred at the office. It sounds pretty, pretty typical for the normal, ordinary Christian life. But there's another aspect of the normal life of the church mentioned here. As it's stated, after all these things and all these acts of faithfulness, the enemies of God's kingdom, Sennacherib and the Assyrians, the enemies of God's kingdom got the upper hand. After all these things and these acts of faithfulness, the enemies of God's kingdom got the upper hand and assaulted God's people. Adversity can come with revival and reformation. And assaulting, they did. They not only assaulted Pastor Hezekiah, they assaulted the revived and reformed church at Jerusalem. As bad as that was, the worst part is the next thing. They assaulted God. I mean, that's verses 9 through 19. The biggest part of this is the fact that they assault God. And you can almost hear, if you're listening, you can almost hear the serpentine Assault of heaven from Genesis 3. Has God actually said? You can almost hear 
his accent in those words. Oh, on what are you trusting that you endure the siege of Jerusalem? Oh, are you trusting on Hezekiah, God's Messiah? Pshaw! That's how they say it in Mississippi sometimes, you know. Why, he's misleading and deceiving you. Oh, what are you trusting on? On Yahweh? Pshaw! In fact, no God, no God has been able to withstand me or my big daddy. And Yahweh is no better than any others. He's just a big old paper tiger. So verse 19, they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. Notice that truly adversity can come with revival and reformation. It should not surprise us. But Hezekiah, verse 20, Hezekiah, with the aid of the prophet Isaiah, act like God is not a paper tiger, that he is really real. And act like that the revival reformation that had happened was really real. And they step into God's health-giving prescription. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from the wicked way, that I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and heal their land. Verse 20, Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And what happened? The angel of Yahweh, the angel of the Lord, came and smashed Snatcher's teeth in his mouth, so to speak, and sent him packing with his tail between his legs. The kind of thing you hear in the call to worship from Psalm 34, the angel of Yahweh encamps around his people. And then comes verse 22. And so Yahweh saved. The Lord saved. Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hands of Sennacher, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all of his enemies, and he provided for them on every side. My friends, I would tell you that those first three words are some of the most meaningful words of all time. The Lord saved. The Lord rescued them. The Lord brought them out of their adversity, brought them, saved them through and in the midst of their adversity, but the theme is the Lord saved. And I'm going to ask you a pointed question. Do you know the Lord that saves? Do you know Him? Do you know the one who became fully human on your behalf, on our behalf, and in humbleness, And humility and obedience to the Father. He humbled himself to the point of death, even the death of the cross, for us and for our salvation. Do you know the Lord who saves? And on the third day he was raised again from the dead and has given a name above all names. That in the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know the Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you know the Lord who saves? who saves through adversity. He doesn't always save us out of adversity, but he is the Lord who can save us through adversity, can save us even in the midst of adversity, as you see here. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a Bible promise from one end to the other. Do you know the Lord that saves? And I implore you, if you don't, to call on him.
to be saved. So, dear friends, adversity can come with reformation, revival, but also arrogance can come. And that's verses 24 through 26. Arrogance can come with revival and reformation. Notice verse 24, in, in a moment of sickness, in a moment of grievous sickness, in the moment of life-threatening sickness, that's Hezekiah. And he's, he's having this sickness in the midst of the adversity. It's while the Assyrians are besieging Jerusalem. So it's just grievous stuff upon grievous stuff. But here in a moment of sickness and grievous sickness and life-threatening sickness, Hezekiah, verse 24, prayed to Yahweh and he answered him and gave him a sign. I find that last statement pretty interesting because God almost never gives signs. Okay, y'all need to listen, okay? Because this won't sell any books and won't get me on TV, okay? But God almost never gives signs so that when there is a sign, that's pretty wild. And he gave him a sign to hammer home to him that yes, he was going to be delivered from his sickness. And so at that point, at the end of verse 22, oh, all is good and well and all praise to God. My friends, we humans are squirrely critters. Let's just say it. Let's own it. We humans are squirrely critters. We, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve, are a mixed bag. Notice the very next statement. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. God had rescued him. God had delivered him from his ailment. He was delivering him from the king of Assyria. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him. My friends, those words have just been bouncing around my heart and head for the last two weeks. And I'm going to tell you, my whole life story is in that statement. Mike Philibert did not make Return according to the benefit done to him. Miserable sinner that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? But dear friends, our story is in those words. We did not make return according to the benefit done to us. And that statement expands, and you hear it even getting bigger as it goes on to say, for his heart was proud. Now, here we have revival and reformation, sure enough. But you can just see how natural that statement is. Why, God has blessed me, and I'm right proud of it as we stick our thumbs under our suspenders and raise our noses high and swagger along bragging. Why, look at how successful my marriage is, y'all. I've been married 44 years, I just want to tell you. Everybody needs to pay attention to us, me and Anna. We got this thing down. In fact, you book publishers, you need to hurry up and get over here and sign us a book contract because we got our act together. And that was being silly but throw in there anything else. Like church growth. Do you know how many books are sold because everybody's got the perfect model on church growth? 
how much pride lingers there? How about wealth? I remember the preacher that came to me one time and said to me that he knew he was on the right track because God had blessed him so well. Look at this gold necklace I have. I kid you not. It's at my office, not here, but in another state, another city. Look at this gold necklace, and my bank account now has a million dollars in it. You need to listen to me. Whoo, I took a step back because I was afraid lightning was about to strike. You put in there anything else. Maybe your health has been restored. You will notice that little serpentine thingy whispering in your ear, wriggling in the back of your head. And he didn't give back according to the benefit given to him and pride rose in his heart. Arrogance, my friends, can come with revival and reformation. And I would tell you, if you read church history, you'll go, oh, wow, show enough, there it is, all over the place. Arrogance can come with revival and reformation. But my friends, if it is God-caused revival and reformation, then the very next verse, verse 26, is not too surprising and is a pleasant turn of events. But Hezekiah what? Humbled himself. For what? The pride of his heart. Both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of Yahweh, the wrath of the Lord, did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Dear friends, pray for humility. Humility will not get you elected into public office. It will not make you the CEO or the CFO or the CIO or whatever OO you want to put in there. Humility will not get you famous. It's okay. Pray for humility. Because Scripture is very clear, and even in the New Testament, twice, in James 4 and 1 Peter 5, God opposes the proud. And He opposes proud Christians and proud non-Christians because God is not given to partiality. God opposes the proud. Pray for humility, but he gives grace to the humble. Pray for humility. Lord, as you have blessed us in our marriage, help us to walk in great humility, always and ever. Because we're just two sinners saved by grace. If you had left it to ourselves, we would have burned it down. Pray for humility. Yes, my friends, arrogance can come with revival and reformation. But so can come assessment. And that's verses 27 through 31. I'm using the word assessment in two different ways that it's actually... If you look it up in the definitions, you'll see that both of them are there. I'm using it in two different ways. On the one hand, verse 27 through 30, is God's assessment, God's evaluation of Hezekiah's reign. Generally speaking, broadly speaking, yes, there were acts of faithfulness. He did good works, wonderful, and God gives his seal of approval. The end of verse 29, for God had given him very great possessions. And in verse 30, Hezekiah prospered in all of his works. It's God's assessment of him. You heard it in the, the shorter catechism that God really does, generally speaking, want us to be in good health and prosper. And then the parentheses. As long, look at the catechism that's in your worship guide. As long as it shall serve for God's glory and our good. Right? It's a great assessment. The Lord's assessment 
his evaluation of Hezekiah. But then notice verse 31 is the other aspect of assessment. It's the fact that God tested Hezekiah. In the matter of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, as they came to him after all the adversity and all the impoverishment and everything, and now he's starting to, he's healed, and now he's actually delivered from Sennacherib, and now all the local uh, kingdoms or little city-states are all gathering around Hezekiah. The kings, the princes of Babylon come to um, Hezekiah, probably trying to build some kind of alliance with him so they could actually throw up... Uh, a military action against the king of Assyria. It's probably what it's about. And notice what it says. God left him to himself. Th those words should be haunting. God left him to himself. Why did he leave him to himself? It's the rest of the verse. In order to test him and know all that was in his heart. Well, preacher, I thought God was omniscient, knows all things. Why does he need to test him? Well, he doesn't really. I mean, David was right when David blessed Solomon. He says, you know, he says, always be following the Lord your God because he knows every, he, he searches every heart and knows and understands every thought and plan. The Lord didn't need to do this for his own sake. He already knew what was in Hezekiah's heart. He's doing this so Hezekiah will know what the Lord knows is in his heart. And so those are haunting words. The Lord left them to himself. The Lord left him to himself to see what was in his heart. Lord, I don't want you to leave me to myself. I see some things in my heart. And they scare the snot out of me, and I cannot even imagine what's in the other part. Do not leave me to myself. That's what we should be praying. My friends, there are times when we too, in the midst of fleshing out revival and reformation, God may actually leave us to ourselves to show us what is in our hearts. And clearly the historian is giving God's people, the historian who's writing Chronicles is giving God's people throughout all ages a cryptic warning of type of some kind. In the midst of all of God's goodness, in the midst of all of God's enduring steadfast love, in the midst of that all, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? Is pride in there? If you're human, then yes. Is pride in there? Yeah. How about greed? Very likely. What about craving for fame? What about that lust for fortune? Maybe it's that almost pornographic desire to be praised by the important people so you can be somebody. What's in your heart? In the midst of all of God's plentiful grace and goodness and a steadfast love that endures forever, that's what we're swimming in. What's in your heart? And so the tale of godly Hezekiah makes us, gives us much to lift our hearts in hope and hopefulness. But it also gives us much to remember to stay alert and to consider. And as I said, Hezekiah dies. And here was, generally speaking, an honorable man who lived an honorable life. And he 
is given great honor in his death. Praise the Lord. So friends, with revival and reformation can come adversity and arrogance and may come, may come some divine assessment. Now I left out a couple of verses that we're going to go back and look at now as we wrap up. Because you see, on Hezekiah's good days, and he had plenty of good days. Hezekiah, a son of David, he modeled, he modeled and exhibited the greater son of David. Look back up at verse 7 and the first part of verse 8. Notice his words, in the midst of adversity, with trouble all around him, notice what he says, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or dismayed. Now whose words did that sound like? Yeah, in Joshua, the Lord's words to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1 that Joshua himself will finally say. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. Why? For there are more with us than with him. Anybody know who that sounds like? Who? Elisha. Yes, Elisha. As Elisha was surrounded in 2 Kings chapter 6, is surrounded by... Uh, a, a pagan army and his servant walks out in the morning and as he's stretching and yawning and getting his first cup of coffee he looks out and here's all the enemy soldiers around the city ah! and he says to Elisha ah! and Elisha says dude don't be afraid because there's more with us than with them and then he prays that his servant's eyes will be opened and his eyes were opened and so Hezekiah now sounds like Elisha a little bit for there are more with us than with him and then he's going to start to sound like his great, 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 great granddaddy, Asa. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is Yahweh our God to help us and to fight our battles. There is no one like you, O Yahweh in heaven, who can help us. 2 Chronicles 14, verse 11. But who do those words really sound like? How about this son of David? Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Not as Sinatra gives. Not as the Assyrians give. Not as the Babylonians give. Not as anybody else gives. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Now if the world hates you. If the Assyrians and Babylonians and Sennacheribs of the world hate you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, if you were of the Assyrians and Babylonians, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. I have said these things to you. That in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have what? Overcome the world. Wow. Hezekiah on his good days, and he had many of them, modeled and mirrored the greater son of David, Jesus. And notice the people's response there in verse 8. The people took confidence in the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Oh, people of God, take confidence in the greater son of David, the greater than Hezekiah. 
because he signed and sealed and delivered his promise to us. Unlike Hezekiah, he did. He signed, sealed, and delivered his promise to us by his blood and misery of his cross. But he signed, sealed, and delivered to us his promise in the empty tomb where he rose from the dead on the third day. Body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair no longer subject to misery or mortality. He signed, sealed, and delivered the promise to us when he was raised to the Father's right hand to be enthroned and crowned as King of kings and Lord of lords. And he signed, sealed, and delivered his promise to us when on that first Pentecost he baptized his church with the Holy Spirit. Take confidence in what he says. That's our problem. Let's be honest. Every last love and one of us are just wonderful unbelievers. In all of our believing, mind you, we're still unbelievers. And the scripture is saying, believe, trust, commit yourself to this one, this greater son of David, greater than Hezekiah. You see what I did for Hezekiah? Well, this is what I'm doing in Jesus. And my friends, this is Advent. Did anybody notice that by any way? By any chance? This is Advent. And what do we do with Advent? We are preparing for the coming of whom? Jesus. Right? Our Lord, the greater Son of David, has come and is coming. Advent is a season in which we sit down and ask these hard questions. What's in my heart? Advent is the right time for us to be praying, oh dear God, may I always remain a humble person. Right? Advent is a time. But Advent is also a time of hope building. You sang it in the carols. Right? You sing, here, you, I'm going to prove it to you. You sang it. Okay? You sang it. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. Do you believe that? Born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in thee. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Right? This is Advent. Getting ready for Jesus coming. And as we wrap up 2 Chronicles, we should be thinking about the greater son of David. Who is the hope of not only Israel, but the dear desire of every nation. Let's pray. We thank you, our Lord and our God. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the greater son of David, the greater than Hezekiah, who has signed and sealed and delivered these promises to us in his own body and blood and death and resurrection and ascension. We're grateful. May we live not proud, not arrogant, humbly, in the joy, in the joyful faith of that. We thank you for the story of Hezekiah. May it be a correction to us and help us and lead us and shape us. And Lord, during this Advent season, prepare our hearts for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.